Welcome to Lockhead on Marketing, where we're trying the world's first marketing pod storm. 30 days of strategies and ideas to help you create the future of your choosing. Hey ho, let's go. Thanks for pressing play. I sure hope you're enjoying the uh, marketing pod storm. And I also off the top want to thank you so much for uh, sharing this podstorm with your friends. Now, today on this episode, let's go deep on how to market with a powerful point of view as a mechanism for distinguishing your brand and most importantly, to design and dominate your market category. Because as wacky as it might sound, downturns can be very powerful times to do exactly that. And on this episode, we have a super special guest, Ali Kanan. He's one of my favorite guys. I've known Ali for the better part of 20 years. We worked together at Mercury Interactive and he was the head of marketing uh, for Europe and he did an unbelievable job. And today he's one of the most talented CMOs and category designers I know. And he's the CMO of Ogre in Europe. On this episode, we go deep. We have a great conversation about how Ali uh, executes a POV marketing strategy to design and dominate market categories. And um, I think you're going to love this conversation. As you know, America is getting ready to go back to work. And um, as we open up, you need every advantage to succeed. And that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, including finance, HR, inventory, and omni-channel commerce. And today, more than ever, you can manage every penny with precision with NetSuite. And so whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, check out NetSuite. Also, my friends at NetSuite have created this awesome new guide called Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now. You can get your copy at netsuite.com slash different. And while you're there, you can uh, also schedule your free product tour, netsuite.com slash different. And in a crisis, turning data into doing has never been more important. And that's where Splunk comes in, helping you turn every, uh, uh, helping you turn data. <laughs> you know, if you're going to have a podcast, you should be able to do the ad reads, don't you think? Anyway, I'm super proud to be associated with my friends at Splunk because they do help you turn data into doing. Go to splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E. That's splunk.com slash D to E. Now, hey ho, let's go. It's one thing to create a legendary point of view, but it's a whole other thing to turn it into real business results, isn't it? Absolutely, Chris. Uh, I think it's probably one of the biggest challenges. Once you did the, the POV and it's provocative and all the attributes are there, is how to turn that POV into results. It's probably one of the biggest challenges out there. And so once you've gone through the exercise and you know, you've done it at your company, you have a very powerful, differentiated, very clear point of view. How do you get the executive team on board? And then how do you uh, execute it in the world? Very good question, because fundamentally, I, it starts with a CEO. Uh, the CEO as being the leader of the company, but also being the representative of the board, needs, needs to be on board, uh, 100%. Uh, the CEO and the CMO needs to be joined by the hip on the short term, the long term, what needs to be done. and then. I believe there are three different journeys that needs to happen within the company that are led by the standard CEO, CMO. First, there is a, a product transformation journey 
there is there's a marketing transformation journey and there is a sales transformation journey so for that the, the CEO and the CMO needs to get on board the, the chief product officer, the chief technology officer, and the chief revenue officer. So those will be secondary, but equally important when it comes to execution. And so how do you sort of enroll them into the creation of the category and then the point of view to support that category so that you drive ownership that, that, the CEO, the head of product, the head of uh, sales, and of course the CMO come together as a as a unified uh, team. In the beginning, um, you need to do that in a way that they understand and they believe more. They understand that it's going to bring good money to the company, <laughs> and they do it for that purpose. I mean, if it's uh, if this is not very clear that the category design and domination will will bring money. A profitable money, hopefully, then it's going to be hard. But once you've done that, meaning you show there is a potential market to be created that is huge, the problem out there is urgent. Customers are really buying into it. You know, you define the customer well, meaning which accounts, which individuals, or profiles, or personas, whatever you want to call them. Once this is defined well, uh, then I think everybody sees the light uh, when you read the POV out loud to everybody and they say, wow, yeah, wow, this is uh, yeah, exactly what my customer is telling me. This is the problem. Exactly that. The second part of it, which brings everybody home again, is when they are very honest with regards to their own to the solution they have, meaning because everybody talks about unique. Uh, we have unique this and unique that. So, so what is unique? I mean, let's, let's give it a, a simple definition. Unique is different and hard to copy. So I built the matrix two by two. On one axis, you have different and the other one hard to copy. And let's place those products now and see which is really unique. And this is where everybody says, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, I think we, we have some work cut out for us to, to really create what this category requires in terms of products and blueprint. Because uh, I know I've found this. I'm curious to get your reaction. When you ask a lot of leaders, CEOs, CTOs, UFOs, et cetera, um, uh, tell me how this is different, whether it's a product or whether it's marketing or whatever it is, what most often comes out of their mouth is actually not very different, but they're just having a better argument. Oh, well, you know, ours is faster, ours is cheaper, ours is whatever. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, we, we, I call this uh, the better trap. You know, we, uh, our minds have been molded into having a better conversation all the time because of, uh, I think, uh, all the shitty marketing that happened before. I mean, uh, there's some good marketing that happened, but a lot of the marketing is about better. And this is, I find this to be the, one of the biggest pitfalls uh, in, in creating the category, either on the marketing side or the products or the sales side, by the way. The products want to do better products. Uh, the sales want to sell better features. Marketing have better value propositions. And all that is what I always say, and you know, we always said it together, actually, you and me, Chris, that better is negotiable, different isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, and I'm reminded of Lee recently, I'm going to see if I can pull it up in time while we're talking, but I, um, I was at LAX at the airport, and there was this giant ad, and it was in red, and it said something, it, and the biggest word on the ad was Netflix. And it said like, sorry, Netflix, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're going to win in the streaming wars. And it was some company I'd never heard of. And 
it was clearly better marketing in that they were offering free streaming for some period of time, right? So they're saying we're better than Netflix because for what for whatever period of time it's free. And A, the ad is in Netflix red. B, the biggest word on the thing is Netflix. Netflix. And I can't even remember the name of the company. <laughs> and and yeah. my argument was, you know, nine out of 10 people would look at this as they're walking by in two seconds and think, oh, there's a Netflix ad. Exactly. Oh, man, yeah, that's so amazing. Yeah, exactly. That's what, what, what people need to avoid completely, actually. I mean, uh, I almost, uh, you know, I worked for a company, VMware, for a long time. And in the beginning of VMware, when we were establishing virtualization as a category, we hardly talk about competition. We were just talking about the problems the customer facing, a lot of annual hardware, and how can we virtualize all that and bring the most out of it. We hardly talked about any competitor in the beginning. And then, of course, after when people see the money, they want to join the party, and then you want to make sure you defend your turf. Yeah, it is interesting. It's like uh, one of my favorite examples is, of course, when Steve Jobs launches the iPhone, he just ignores the fact that the BlackBerry even exists, yes. right? Exactly. What's the point? Yeah, I mean, exactly. And so completely different. the legendary category designers, and I think this then you know, ties back to point of view, they want there to be a before and an after. And that after they launch, after they take it to market, their point of view, their new category, that everything gets compared to them as opposed to falling into this trap you talk about. Yes? Correct. Yes, correct. And, uh, and it, it's important um, to, to, to come back to, I mean, a lot of uh, CEOs talk about their products and it's okay. I mean, it's, it's important to have uh, competitive products. Uh, but when you, when you put the POV in place, um, one uh, mental shift in the mind of the CTO uh, needs to happen, which is now the products I'm going to be developing need to address the problem of the POV today and the problem we're solving for the future. I'm not going to go and do products for some technology or whatever. No, it, is it solving the problem we define together in the POV? And that's, that's a journey that, this, that the, the chief technology officer and the chief uh, product officer need to, need to uh, embark on and embrace. I love that you're talking about this because there's a couple of key things that immediately pop to mind for me. One is we're setting an agenda and to your point, we need to execute against that agenda. If we're making a promise to the world, then we got to figure that out, right? And, um, you know, if you think about the experience that you and I had back in the Mercury days, uh, when you say the company does testing, tuning, and monitoring, right, which is where it was, when we started on the on the category journey. From a product point of view, if you're saying that externally, then when the developers and the engineering team read an ad or a press release or the website or whatever it is, and everybody's doing testing, tuning, and monitoring, they think, well, I better get back to the lab and build testing, tuning, and monitoring. Exactly. And then when you say BTO, business technology optimization, optimize the business outcome of IT, then they say, well, are we optimizing the business outcome of IT or what are we doing here? Yes, yeah, exactly. And when you talk about quality centers and performance centers and, that, and business availability center, then the, you know, the, the, the product becomes bigger immediately and therefore the value and therefore you know, it becomes different from what's out there in testing, tuning, and monitoring. And that's what uh, makes a success. And so 
I've always believed that um, marketing actually, as crazy as this sounds, has a bigger impact internally than even externally because of this influence we're talking about. But I'm curious what your experience is. Oh, my, my, most definitely. I mean, uh, let's talk about the most recent experience I had uh, with, uh, with the company I work for today, Ogri. Uh, basically, what happened is once we defined the POV and the blueprint of the category, we looked at the entire organization on the product side, on the product development side, on the sales side, and said, how can we reorganize ourselves to be more aligned with what we're trying to achieve in this category design? So, so if, our, if our blueprint calls for consent management or for user engagement, should we create tribes and development teams around those topics so people understand exactly what they're doing within the POV and within the blueprint? Same, likewise, on the sales side. So it goes very deep in the organization uh, to ensure the success, uh, of course, beyond executing strikes and bringing a lot of customers and all that. At the end, you're going to build a product that uh, people want. So it means it solves the real problem for them. And then some salespeople need to sell it for a good price. The other super powerful thing I think you're saying here, Lee, but again, I want to bounce it off you, is I think a trap CMOs and marketers fall into is I'm doing marketing. Mm-hmm. So there's the company over here and the products over there. And my job is to market the products. And, and, and that's what messaging is. And that's fine yeah. at a certain level, but that can change very much, right? When we declare a point of view and we're evangelizing a problem, that's something that doesn't really change. That's a, that's a vision, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this distinction between a point of view that really points to a true north, north, what's the mission we're on? What's the problem we're solving? Why should customers care? Why is this thing a new opportunity? Why, why is this thing a new way of thinking about something that's going to make a difference for customers? As opposed to a message called, hey, this month only buy one, get one free, right? That's yeah, exactly. a message. Exactly, yes. There's a clear distinction there. And this is a, the marketing journey I was talking about. This is exactly the pitfall they need to, to avoid or at least uh, try to avoid because it's not, it's not always obvious. Is uh, Of course, marketing by itself exists and it's important to communicate and to evangelize and all that. But equally importantly, internally, the CMO, always joined by the hip with the CEO, needs to drive the product side, needs to drive the sales side on how to build different products, how to sell differently, and to avoid what we used to call you and me, uh, you know, the feature uh, pitch where, you know, there is like 50 slides and stop me, uh, Mr. Customer, when you find something you like. <laughs> I always love that one. It's like, well, well, Fred and Sally, our product has uh, 372 critical features. Let's just take you through all of them, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, you know, the interesting thing about this, and I think it's something that doesn't really get talked about in business and certainly in marketing is, you know, the CMO can easily fall into a trap of thinking, well, my job is to market the company and the products. But what you're saying is, uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but let me test this out on you. A big part of what the CMO is doing, particularly when building categories and points of view, is driving alignment between CEO, product, and sales. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. And in some companies, let's just be honest, the head of engineering and the head of sales thinks the head of marketing is a bozo. Yeah. 
So how do you as a CMO, and I know you've done it many times, I mean, if you're not a veteran CMO, who is? How do you build those relationships so that CEO, head of product, head of sales, and head of marketing come together? How does the CMO be the catalyst for that? Let, let me start by saying it doesn't always work. And that's why at certain companies I stayed eight years and others I stayed a year and a half or less. <laughs> so when, when this doesn't happen, meaning the CEO is most uh, worried about the color of the website and uh, the chief technology officer is to maintain the status quo in his teams and don't change anything, then in this case, if nobody hears the reason, I, mean, I think the CMO needs to step out and leave. Fundamentally, and, I would, and, and it's not a promotion, but making them read the Play Bigger book, it's probably has been for me, uh, no, no, really. I mean, it's an eye-opener for those guys. So, oh, wow. And when, you, when the CMO is promoting the book internally and explaining how it works and all that, immediately the CMO is labeled as the strategy guy, as opposed to the branding or the messaging or all that stuff. So, and that's uh, the way the CMO needs to start. Sorry, start their journey is by saying, I'm here to work with you on the strategy of the company, not about whether we do more LinkedIn marketing versus Facebook marketing or whatever else. I, I love it. And it was something I always tried to do as a CMO to uh, elevate myself. So even in the very, very beginning in the recruiting process, I would even say, you know, they would be talking to me or whatever. And I'd say, hey, look, if you're looking for somebody to do great branding and lead gen and product strategy, product MRD, PRD, IUD, all the good stuff, right? Um, I, I can do those things. But if that's what you're looking for, you don't need me. Exactly. And I always found that blew people's mind. They'd say, well, what, why, when, why would we need you then? And I'd say, aha. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> My superpower is designing and dominating market categories. And so even at the very beginning of the recruiting conversation to shift the mindset of the CEO and then hopefully head of sales, head of product, and ultimately the whole C-suite, the whole board, that yeah. of course you got to drive leads. Of course you got to have a great brand. Of course you got to do great events and advertising. Yeah. And of course, that's, but that's, that's, that's the tactical, right? The big job is, is what you're talking about. So I'm curious how you set that agenda coming in and how you sort of maintain a more strategic position as a CMO. Uh, well, there are two things really. One is what, what you said, you know, from the beginning, you set the expectation at the right place. And then, of course, as you said, uh, eventually you're going to execute, deliver, and all that. The way you, you stay up there is by surrounding yourself with a strong team that complements your capabilities and uh, having people strong in your team delivering on the other items of what expected from a marketing organization. Because if you don't do that, then you're pulled down to do exactly that. So yeah, having a strong uh, person in digital and events um, in the other competencies of marketing is important so you can keep the long view and the strategic view of things. I'm reminded of a story when, when I was joining Mercury, um, Amnon Landon, the CEO, uh, who of course you know very well as well. Yeah. Uh, sure. as, we, as I was sort of talking about coming on board, one of the things he said to me with his Israeli tank commander kind of demeanor, he said, Chris, 
We need to make sure you don't get stuck in the mucky muck. And <laughs> yeah, CMOs can get dragged into that. And, and we live in an era today where the data-oriented and the technology-oriented CMO is critical. I, I'm very excited about the power of the use of data. Of course, this is what your company does in the domain of mobile advertising. And so we can test things and we can analyze things. And, and so the amount of data and information and information technology that the CMO has today is like never before. And of course, you and I share a passion for that. Yeah. But at the same time, CMOs can, get, can go down that data analytics rat hole, right? Absolutely, yeah. So I would, uh, I would phrase it uh, more like knowledge-based instinct. So driven by instinct, validated by knowledge. And knowledge needs data, for sure, but not only. Because the knowledge can be acquired through different means and data being one of them. So I would say that, that will be the, the key to success. Is, uh, some, some CMOs, like yourself, so when you were a CMO, you had good instinct. And then you validated that instinct with knowledge and knowledge from the customers, from talking to customers, from, uh, from talking to partners, from collecting data. So all that knowledge then validates your instinct. You know, you're like a sage. You're like a, <laughs> you're like a monk, a marketing monk. <laughs> I've always loved that about you. I, I love our late night philosophical uh, conversations uh, over whiskey. Oh, it was fun, man. Yeah, we had an amazing time at Mercury. We need to have a few more of those. Now, let's talk um, also about the sales side. How does the CMO uh, get the, the, the head of sales, the chief revenue officer on board, and an evangelist for the, um, the point of view? And in particular, something I know you've spent a tremendous amount of time on, um, helping the, the, the CRO enable the field on yeah. the new point of view. So that they, they're using the new language and they're, 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 they're telling the new story that we want them to tell. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first and foremost, it's about uh, uh, building the, the sales tools, you know, being a, a pitch deck uh, uh, or any other kinds of tools uh, helpful for them, case studies uh, in the new language and showing them that in the new way of describing the problem first, then coming to the solution and the unique benefits of that solution is the way to go and then testing it out with them. That's one, you know, enabling them with real content that they can use with their customers. And second is helping them to, in their transformation of their sales organization, because, you know, CROs are probably been around for a while and the team is there and they believe in their team. They hired most of them. So it's hard for them sometimes to, well, out of the 100 people or whatever number I have, 10% are already there. They can articulate the new message, the new story with the problem and all that. 50, 50, 60% will get there with enough enablement. And then there are maybe 30% that need to be, unfortunately, replaced. It's hard for the CRO alone to do that journey. The CMO can be very helpful there as an objective observer and guide to the CRO. And yeah. that's how you build partnership, basically, with being partnered with them in their job and helping them delivering the value to their customers. And I know there's no right way or wrong way, but, but that said, generally, I feel strongly, that, and you'll tell me how you feel, but because of exactly what you just said, the sales enablement and training function in the company, I think, needs to be in marketing. Mm-hmm. 
because that way mar- the marketing organization is is partnering with the CRO but in driving that enablement. But I'm curious what you think about that. Oh, the, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, by the way, in my current job, I own sales enablement uh, as a CMO at Algorithm. And actually, I'm, I'm now chief strategy and marketing officer in this company because uh, at the end, people figured out that whatever I'm doing is closer to strategy than to marketing. <laughs> and one of my favorite <laughs> expressions of yours of all time, when things aren't going well, you'll look at me and you'll say, new strategy. <laughs> You need to adapt it a little bit, yes. So you're, so, yeah, you're officially I, the new strategy guy. I am the new strategy guy, yeah. So it's important for, uh, yeah, it's important for the marketing to to own enablement. And of course, in uh, in in tandem with the CRO, but also uh, in uh, in uh, partnership with uh, with the people people officer, because there's a, a lot of enablement for the employees in general. Because it doesn't stop. I, I talked about the essentials, but it doesn't stop there. At some point, every employee in the company needs to be repeating a, a piece of the POV, a one-liner or whatever, like a mantra, as you know. And so the other mistake I see CMOs making in this regard is, all right, we create our new category, we define it, we have the, t- the name and all that, then we build the POV to drive that, and then we're going to launch it externally, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to do internal enablement and quote-unquote activation of employees. And they make the following mistake. Well, we're going to train the sales force once. We'll do it. We'll do this thing at sales kickoff and they'll take the new deck and the new this and the new that. And we're good, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, that's another one. Yeah. It, it just takes, it takes longer. It takes longer. It takes diligence. It takes repetition, practice. And eventually, you know, I'm, very, I'm a big favor with, uh, a bit of uh, certification, you know, like really getting the salespeople every now and then, every six months to pitch you back, tell you the story as if you're the customer and uh, to, to, to rate them on a very objective grid and say, well, you know, you pass, you don't pass. Here's how you need to be coached to get there. And we do this. I mean, we, this should be, I think should be done on a six monthly basis. And for everybody who's coming on board, of course, new should be done. A certification. Are you telling the story? that we want to tell and really in the way we want to tell it. So very prescriptive about the story. <laughs> it's funny. I'm, uh, you know, I love music as you know. And so there's this analogy in my head, right? Uh, a, a little while ago, me and my brother-in-laws, we went to go see the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And they open up the show with jumping Jack flash. Uh, they end the show with satisfaction. They play all, you know, lots of the big hits, sympathy for the devil and all that. And when I go to see the Rolling Stones and they play Sympathy for the Devil, one of my five favorite songs from any band of all time, here's what I don't want. The freeform jazz version of it. Exactly. <laughs> now, it doesn't have to be exactly the record, but it has to be this, like, you ever, you go see a band and sometimes they like change the melody in the chorus and they're like, now we're going to do the reggae version or like whatever it is. And you're like, and it just makes you mad, right? And yeah, so. Exactly. In the business world, right? No freeform jazz. No. When we show up, we're going to play Jumpin' Jack Flash. Exactly. Every time. That's a great analogy. Spot on. Actually, I, I use the, I use this, uh, not, not exactly songs, but poems. I took a very famous poem and they say, okay, I recited the poem as it should be. And then I, I recited the same poem as it shouldn't be. And I say, well, guess what? This is not exciting at all. This is very exciting, but it's exactly the same point. It just you change a few words here and there, and all of a sudden it becomes from uh, 
legendary poem to a, a piece of shit taxi nobody wants to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> so here you go. It's very similar. Yes, we have. We think we think alike. And so you have to be certified on the legendary version of the poem, not some piece of shit free form <laughs> version that you think it should be. Exactly. Exactly. I, I love it. Are there any other things that uh, you want to touch on, Ali, in terms of how you really make a point of view stick internally so that we, we can then go execute in, in, in the marketplace? No, no, nothing new, but I would like to reiterate really the fact that uh, the, the tandem, the CEO and CMO, uh, should be very tight on, on, on all decisions. And of course, you know, the, the CMO, I mean, in real life, what I experience at the end, when when it happens, the CMO will be probably leading the project. But whatever decision the CMO uh, is doing, it's completely vetted uh, with the CEO, hundred percent aligned on every decision every day of the week. Otherwise, it won't work. And so, let me ask you maybe a little bit about that. Some of the specifics of building that kind of uh, relationship with a CEO. You know, for example, how often do you communicate, talk with, text, email with your CEO? Oh, I mean, he's he sitting very close. So, I mean, uh, we, we are in the same office. Uh, therefore, I see him almost every day. And we talk. And I mean, officially, we have a one, one connect every week. But we can talk anytime. I mean, it's, it's an ongoing discussion. It's ongoing. And uh, yeah, sorry. But I mean, um, if the CMO is not co-located for some reason with their CEO, they have to apply a lot of discipline. Uh, and most, most likely it won't work. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is, I think, something that uh, CMOs miss. And look, I don't know what it's like to be a different C-level executive than a CMO. So I don't know how true it is across the C-suite. But I always found the exact same thing, Lee, that we should be talking, texting, emailing, whatever, communicating once a day, once every other day yeah. on, on something. You learn yeah, something yeah. cool. You meet with an analyst. You go exactly. on a sales call. Uh, product manager tells you something that you think is cool that the CEO, something. There's always a reason to have that connection. Yes, absolutely. Daily is is exactly the right uh, the right frequency. Yeah. All right. Anything else, Mr. Kanan? Thank you very much, Chris. It's been a pleasure always. It's a pleasure, and uh, I just want you to know I deeply respect and admire you, and I'm going to say it. I love the shit out of you, Ali. Uh, likewise, Chris. I love you too. You know that. <laughs> Thank you, brother. And I hope you come back. Yeah, thanks for sure, for sure. Anytime. All right, there he is. We would like to thank the legendary Ali Kanan. How was that? Isn't he great? You could check out his company, Ogre. Uh, my good friends at Atre.net, Atrenet have been building websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check out A-T-R-E.net. Also, if you're in the tech industry, why not check out one of my favorite podcasts, Cloud Wars Live with the legendary Bob Evans. And I am uh, super proud to be a regular guest on Cloud Wars, where we talk about all things going on in the tech industry. I also need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this oddcast is a sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. We are produced and edited by living podcast legend Jason DeFilippo. Technical awesomeness by Sarah Knox and Jamie J. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Scheduling and keeping all trains running on uh, at all times, the legendary Candy Dandy. And the quote I'll leave you with today comes from author Nicholas Sparks, who said, every great love starts with a great story. Thank you so much. Stay healthy. 
Stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different. 